0: This is an ABC podcast. You have to decide, am I going to exercise today or I'm going to blow dry my hair because I can't exercise and then run under a shower like the men can.
1: We have a minimum requirement for makeup, which is foundation, blush, eyeshadow, mascara and a lipstick or a lip gloss.
0: Does that sound familiar to you? It was in the subconscious constantly. Okay, I've gotta make sure that, you know, my spanks are the right size and that we're not gonna have a role in this. Are my earrings okay? Are they not okay? Crap, my hair looks terrible today. What am
2: I gonna do with it? It's no secret, women spend way more time, energy, and money on the way we look than men do.
1: I feel frustrated that my male colleagues are getting more sleep than I am. They're not spending as much money as I am.
3: There is this thing that women should be doled up. guys, the pressure's not on them to do that.
1: My husband
4: will say you do that because you want to, not because anyone makes you do it or men just don't really understand what it's like to try and keep up
2: and look a certain way. Dee, Yeah. Hi. Hey, what's up? So my daughter Dee pulled me aside and said, Mum.
0: Oh, yeah. I pulled you aside and I was like, Mum, why haven't you talked about gender-booty gap? It's huge it's everywhere. You know, none of my guy friends have that shit put on them. They just go around with their easy, short and their casual, comfy clothes and no
2: one minds. But I'm expected to be pretty and wear my hair long and be uncomfortable, but also I don't care how I look. Hey, Dee, the quality is terrible. Can you try it with the headphone jack in? Um, sure. I actually have to go to class oh, no. now.
0: no, what? I told you at uh, 10.45, I'm like oh, five minutes okay. late
2: now. Do you know what yeah. we're going to say? I'm Yumi Steins, ladies.
0: We need to talk <laughs> about the gender beauty gap. That's the second bell I really got to go.
2: Oh no, you got to do this. All right, ready? Okay. I'm Yumi Steins, ladies. We need to talk about the gender beauty gap. Yay! Good job. Most of us understand that there are hidden costs to being a woman. Blame it on advertising, the cult of self-improvement. Blame it on sexism and the rich white guys who rule the world. The fact is, there's a ton of pressure for women to be beautiful and present well. The stats support this too. Research says in 2016, Australian women spent $15 billion grooming themselves compared to men who spent just seven. So we're spending more than double on our appearances than men. But what else is it costing us? Here's Emma Hussar, who spent three years in the federal parliament as an MP. I remember one day my colleague,
0: a male, came in and he was doing the segment before me. He literally parked his car in the basement, caught the lift up the same way I did, busted into the makeup room, got some powder on his nose and went, right, cool. And he had come in, done his hair and makeup, which was literally powder powder on his nose for maybe 10 seconds, (laughs) not even lying, done his interview, come back and said goodbye and left and I hadn't even gotten out of the chair yet. And I went, you bastard.
2: Like, this sucks. It really, really sucks. The gender beauty gap is chewing up our time, not just our money. And you want to know what else it's costing us?
5: Six out of 10 women opt out of really important life activities, like hanging out with their friends and family, going on a date, being assertive, or going to see a doctor because they're worried about the way that they look.
2: That's Dr. Philippa Diedrichs. She's a psychologist who's done a lot of research into body image. And yes, you heard right. The gender beauty gap also creates a reluctance to do not just the things that we love, but actually the things we need to do, like see a doctor. She's quoting research done by a private research company into how more than
5: 10,000 women across the world felt about their bodies seven in 10 Australian women said that they feel like there's this pressure for women to look a certain way. We know it affects psychological and physical health. There's several decades of really robust evidence showing that. We also know that it affects our social relationships and interestingly also in the workplace and education aspirations. So there's research suggesting that women, you know, not turn up to work um, or go for that job interview on days that they're really feeling like they don't meet the standards of what should be acceptable in terms of how they look. So it's having an impact on all key areas of women's lives.
2: This episode is all about the gender beauty gap, an idea sometimes also known as the grooming gap and the beauty expectation gap. And look, in the fight for gender equality, there are a million gaps. Here's a snapshot of the future our daughters are set to inherit. Women orgasm less, that's a gap. We masturbate less, gap. And we get paid less, a delightful pay gap. And at school, for our kids, there's even a fitness gap where young girls feel too self-conscious to exercise. Within this entirely unfair system, we're also expected to throw resources into looking f***able for as long as we possibly can and to tenaciously cling to that as though we will evaporate if no one thinks we're hot. Dr. Philippa describes the impact of all this pressure and internal chatter about having to appear attractive as a quiet public health emergency.
5: So it's now more normal for women and girls to be unhappy with the way that they look. And we see prevalence rates in the research varying from anywhere from 50 to 90% of women and girls feeling like the way that they look is not good enough. Why this is concerning, on one hand, that might seem quite trivial. How does worrying about the way you look really play out in the big scheme of things? But what we also see from the research several decades now is that when women and girls feel like they don't look good enough, they are more likely to experience depression, stress and anxiety, engage in unhealthy weight control practices, exercise too much or too little. And so what we have is it's an issue that affects most women and girls. Um, it has serious negative consequences for their physical health and well-being. So that indicates that it's a public health issue.
2: Can we talk about the different types of time that we spend on appearance? So there's the actual sort of preparation for the day where you're standing in front of the mirror, that kind of time. But then you describe other ways we chew up our own time,
5: something called Body checking? What is that? Body checking really comes from this theory called self-objectification theory. And essentially what that is is when, as a woman or girl, we start to see ourselves more as objects to be looked at by other people, often by men or through the male gaze, rather than our bodies being, you know, these active tools and being really multidimensional. And when we start to feel that way about ourselves, we're much more likely to engage in body checking or self-surveillance So really checking in with how we're looking at all times during the day. So that could be when you're walking along at the shops, checking your reflection in the mirror, or you're walking around the shops or when you see any kind of reflective surface. It can also be things like when you're sitting at a meeting in the boardroom and you're kind of judging how much space your thighs are taking up in the chair, for example. All of these little kind of subtle moments where we're just thinking, okay, how do I look right now? How am I presenting to other people? But it's also the amount of cognitive energy or that thought process and that amount of attention that we're paying to thinking about how we look rather than necessarily focusing on the task at hand. So it's those incremental moments that count as well when we think about body checking.
2: Right. So we're in the boardroom. We shouldn't be thinking about our thighs. We should be thinking about the board meeting.
5: Yes. And one of the challenges that I hear a lot is, well, why is it such a bad thing that I spend time and money on my appearance or on beauty, for example, particularly if it makes me feel good about the way that I look? What's so wrong with that? And I think what's important to make clear here is we're not saying appearance isn't important. In fact, appearance and playing through fashion, through makeup, through other products or through, you know, other types of adornment on the body like tattoos or piercings or hair colour and things like that can actually be a source of pleasure and fun and self-expression. It can be a way in which we choose to highlight our identity and show who we are to the world. But when it becomes problematic is when we feel like we have to do that in a certain way to meet somebody else's standards. So there's nothing
2: wrong with taking pride in the way you look. But the point Dr. Philippa is making is that it's super tricky to know who we're enacting this whole beauty charade for. Like, do I wear green eyeliner and pink lipstick for me? Or is it so my boss thinks I'm young and groovy and winning at life? Or is it to attract the sexual approval of male strangers, as if this validation is the only form of gravity attaching my body to Earth? And before we go anywhere else, can we please just take a moment to digest body checking? I've never heard the term body checking before, but as soon as I did, I was like, that sounds very familiar. It's
4: just nice to look in the mirror and see an image reflected back at you that you think looks attractive.
2: Someone who understands all of this is Sarah. She's a regular person like you and me. She's 36 and lives in Canberra. And she's on maternity leave at the moment with her second kid.
4: I am probably well known as a bit of a shopaholic.
2: So like a lot of us, Sarah accepts and buys into common everyday beauty standards. She owns about 20 pairs of shoes, 40 dresses and has had Botox a couple of times. My biggest,
4: I suppose, beauty spend is probably on my hair. My hair has always been extremely curly and thick. My mom is half African-American, half Belgian, and my dad is white. So um, I was born with basically a big curly Afro. And since probably the age of 12, 13, I've had straightening treatments on my hair. And you really wouldn't know that I have naturally curly hair looking at me
2: Sarah reckons she spends up to $6,000 a year on grooming, on stuff like her hair, injectables, makeup and laser hair removal. But in the name of gender equality, she's agreed to strip it all away.
4: I have agreed to try to close the gender beauty gap over the next two weeks by wearing less makeup, not spending as much time and effort on my hair by wearing, you know, whatever I feel like wearing that day, not necessarily investing a ton of time into my outfit and just go along for the ride and see how I feel and how society treats me.
2: This is day one
4: morning. It's about 9.30 in the morning and I'm sitting in my bathroom and normally this is when I would, you know, maybe do my hair or put on some makeup or pick an outfit and just get myself ready for the day. I think today and maybe for the rest of the the two weeks, I'm going to use the time that I would have spent doing beauty treatments to meditate and maybe I'll become like a more centered Zen person by the end of this experiment. We'll see.
2: Okay, bye. At the moment, Sarah isn't working in an office, so at least that pressure to present well or feel put together, as she puts it, isn't there. But not everyone has that choice. A lot of women are trapped in the gender beauty gap.
0: So even going to the grocery store, going to Bunnings on a Saturday or a Sunday, I was always really self-conscious. I can't just... Grab my shorts and my cotton shirt and throw my thongs on. I couldn't justify going out in my community looking
2: normal. That's Emma Hassar again, the former MP. Emma says, as a politician, the gender beauty gap has a particular sting to it.
0: Before going into politics, I hardly wore any makeup. Actually, my sister used to order my makeup for me. And so, about halfway through my term, she said, what are you doing with this stuff? Are you eating it? You were going through a ton of foundation and powder and at that point I hadn't really realised but it had become such a normal part of my routine that I had to put it on every day and I chose to. I mean, no-one was telling me I had to. The hair probably is the worst thing though. I have naturally very, very curly hair. What? (laughs) Right. dead straight right now yeah well thank you to the magic of hair straighteners <laughs> and blow dryers and product it is straight the blow drying and the process that that entails
2: just sucks about 40 minutes out of your day what did you miss out on doing in order to get that 45 minutes in front of the hair dryer?
0: I missed breakfast, so I stopped eating. There were even times where I'd have to take the coffee into the shower just to have enough time. I missed exercise in the mornings. I'm I'm a morning person. You have to decide, am I going to exercise today or I'm going to blow dry my hair because I can't exercise and then run under a shower like the men can. I missed catching up on the headlines of the day or having that additional reading time when, you know, caucus materials come out, for example, not very long before that first meeting takes place. Missing listening to the news or watching and engaging with all of those things that I need to do, be able to do what the guys do. In the parliament, you know, when they put us through the election process, they take a photograph of you. And that is your image, that is your brand, that is how you are supposed to be presented to your community every time you go out. So forget changing up your attire and your outfit and your hair or, you know, even slightly altering how you look. You need to look. Almost identical to how that photo is taken.
2: So you're talking about the photos that you see on campaign, sort of yeah, pe- posters yep. around your local electorate. Yep.
0: The big core flutes that get stuck in people's you know front yards, like real estate signage. You have to look like that. What about your corporate kind of attire? How did you manage that? <laughs> it's hilarious actually, because no one would know. But a lot of my clothing came. From the second-hand stores, I bought a lot of stuff, um, either recycled through op shops. One of my colleagues and I shared a wardrobe sometimes, so we switched out outfits. I mean, a quarter to a half of my monthly salary would be spent on childcare. So to be forking out hundreds of dollars on designer outfits, like, I didn't have that luxury.
2: Do you ever imagine like re entering Parliament and just doing it differently? Like just wearing flats, having your curly hair back in a ponytail, and just saying, This is the benchmark now. This is where I'm going to sit as far as appearance goes. In terms of going in there on my terms,
0: no, I couldn't do it. Imagine if I gave them more reasons to make those judgments that they could say, Oh, look, she's not wearing makeup. Like she's obviously let herself go. She doesn't care. And I think we are a long way off. Accepting women in our workplaces, you know, in, in positions of power and authority, not dressed to the nines. And with their hair and makeup pristinely done, women are still viewed from the way we look and the way we present rather than actually what we have to offer.
2: Emma held a position of power as a politician, and being in the public eye made it way easier for people to judge her. But not everyone is so exposed.
4: It's Saturday morning. So yesterday I ended up using the time that I would normally do beauty treatments to do a bit of meditation. And it was actually fantastic and kind of put me in a better frame of mind for the day. I got to say now that it's been about three days since I've foregone my beauty routine I definitely don't feel as put together Uh, I don't know there's just something about having everything put together that makes you feel like you can face the day and makes you feel a bit more fierce I guess and um, yeah so I'm definitely missing that feeling but it's been nice to have a break
3: basically what was required of all of the girls at the hotel was to come in half an hour to 45 minutes Earlier than all of the guys, and have our hair and makeup done. Except we weren't getting paid for that 30 to 45 minutes at all.
2: This is Michelle. We've given her a different name for this episode. She used to work front of house at a boutique hotel in Melbourne.
3: After three years of working at the hotel, I kind of worked it out. If I'd been paid for that, it would have been three and a half, four thousand dollars that I would have been owed. It wasn't just your everyday hair and makeup, it was very extreme, like some of the girls had to have their hair teased into mohawks. For me, I had to wear a wig, I had to have false eyelashes and heavy makeup, red lipstick and it wasn't a makeup you could just go wear out in public, you'd have to go take it off after work and then put on other makeup to go out. So the outfit that we had to wear was these tight black pants, boots with heels on them which were very uncomfortable to wear for an eight hour shift, a tight top. And then we had this coat that went over it. And then we had a wig, a black wig and a beret. And it was very skin tight, very revealing, I would guess you would say. And (laughs) often at work, I had a lot of men grabbing me inappropriately because of the way that we were dressed and because they saw us as this like cheeky, I don't know, sexual thing promoting
2: the hotel. What did the guys have to wear?
3: The guys, I mean, they wore less extreme versions of what we wore. So the guys just had to wear a loose shirt and pants and it was still
2: quirky, but not as quirky and sexual, I guess, as the women. Michelle, what would happen when you brought up your discomfort with the situation with management?
3: When we brought it up to management, they said it was a privilege for us to have that. But it wasn't a privilege at all because it was, one, taking our time away from us. But also we didn't want to wear that makeup. We didn't feel comfortable with it. We were just being taken advantage of and the guys didn't have to have it done. When you've stood up for yourself and when you've kind of, you've gone to management and you've talked about it with your peers and there's nothing that can be done except you leave the job because this is how it is, then you just have to accept it and go, okay, I'll do this. (laughs) It, It sucks but I'll do it. And I think that needs to stop. And I wish I'd stood up for myself a bit earlier. I think a lot of the women at that work just wish they'd stood up for it earlier.
2: This sucks. And I admit, I don't actually know what to do about it. In my life, I sometimes work on TV. And if I don't wear makeup and have my hair done, basically, I look a bit crook. I think of it as maybe trying to compete in a sport where everyone else is on steroids. Like, what are you going to do if every other woman is wearing makeup? And while no one expects a man to look as done, if I don't, I look less professional and I probably wouldn't have even got the job in the first place. I have to say today I really,
4: I really miss my, like, my grooming. I really, really have a strong urge to do it. I think it's probably just because I've been, you know, ungroomed for like over a week now. It's getting to me. Like I, I want to see myself in the mirror looking in a way that I believe to be, you know, pretty or, or looking well put together. And when I look in the mirror day after day and see like no makeup and hair just kind of tied back, I guess I just feel different about myself.
2: I want you to meet someone whose experience of the gender beauty gap is so big, you could park a jumbo jet inside of it. Someone who works in an industry where presentation is so important, it has its own slogan.
1: Touch up before touchdown is a saying we have, and it was a saying that I was taught through my training, which is exactly what it means, you touch up your face before we touch down the aircraft.
2: This is Olivia. She's a flight attendant. We've changed her name and disguised her voice. So as a female flight attendant, I have to wear a uniform, which applies to both male
1: and female, but underneath my uniform I must be wearing beige smooth underwear. I'm to wear full-length hosiery and I'm required to carry a spare pair of hosiery in my bag at all times. I'm required to be in heels between 3 to 10 centimetres, every day while I'm in uniform, unless I'm on the aircraft where I can slip into flat shoes. For my hair requirements, I can have short length hair sitting out until it hits my shoulders. Then it has to go into a ponytail. The hair elastic must be not seen. So it has to be covered by a ponytail shield, a piece of hair wrapped around. So my ponytail can get to 30 centimetres long and then it must be tied up into a bun So, this is either with a bun donut or just a neat twisted bun. My hair must be smooth without any flyaways at all times. Do your
2: nails need to be done in a certain way? Yes, they do. Yes.
1: So, they must always be painted. So, either clear, French, or a variety of four colours which match the uniform that I'm wearing.
2: And what about if there's a chip in them? What happens then? They can't be chipped.
1: Yeah, so, um, so they must be painted. They cannot be chipped.
2: Okay, let's talk about men. Yes. <laughs> Do they have any guidelines for their hair and makeup?
1: The only guideline is to keep it minimal and natural.
2: Can you claim any of your makeup as a tax deduction?
1: No, no, you cannot unless it is hydrating.
2: Right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This is all striking me as fairly unfair. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about the different requirements for men and for women?
1: Yeah, like, it is really frustrating. Like, I know I get out of bed earlier than my male colleagues. I know I spend more money, more time, even finding the right shoes. You go to one shop, you go to another shop, where's the sale on, which ones are going to meet the heel requirement. I have literally gone shopping with a measuring tape. If you could
2: change the uniform requirements, including hair and makeup, for female flight attendants, what changes would you make immediately? I would say
1: nail polish optional, makeup optional and flat shoes.
2: Your job's quite involved. You are responsible for the safety and well-being of all the passengers, feeding them, keeping them hydrated. How do you feel about the fact that you do have a fairly important job, but there's such an emphasis on how you look? Yeah,
1: that is really frustrating and and you often get comments from passengers about the way you look and it's frustrating because that's not why I'm there. I'm I'm there for their safety and their comfort. I'm not there to look pretty, but I think they think I am.
2: (laughs) In Olivia's case, it's her industry telling her that her looks are integral to her job. It's requiring her to not only spend more, but to think more about the way she presents compared to the guys. So for many of us, that pressure to look good at work is not an internal thing that we put on ourselves. It's formal. It's in the actual rule book, and it's enforced.
4: Hey, so I cheated today. I put on makeup and did my hair. I know. But I had a meeting with my boss and I really wanted to go looking professional and kind of because we were actually meeting about me coming back to work. But I mean, I could make a million excuses, but really, it was just
2: nice to um, to do it. Dr. Philippa, the psychologist you heard from earlier in this episode, says... Part of this pressure to look good is that women are rewarded for it. It gives us what she calls social capital.
5: And really what social capital is, is it's like, say, our value or a credit or a currency that we have. So men can gain capital and credit to their masculinity, for example, if they engage in sports or if they have a certain amount of money and they're wealthy or they really meet kind of the traditional ideas of masculinity to be strong and silent. And there was a really interesting study that was done that looked at masculine capital among young men in London. And they used David Beckham as an example, and how he has a lot of masculine capital as a footballer. So he can transgress some boundaries by being interested in fashion, or he famously wore a sarong once. But he was still seen as masculine because he had enough capital to withstand any criticism of being seen as feminine. So when we think about this in terms of the gender, the beauty gap, a lot of women's capital is based upon their appearance. And so it tends to be that we don't have as much... Capital we can draw on from other sources in our lives if we don't meet that basic standard. Whereas for men, if you have enough capital in terms of your wealth, your knowledge, your attributes, your talent, your experience, for example, even if you don't meet societal standards for attractiveness for a man, you can still get by. And the penalty that you'll have from not meeting society's standards may not be as great.
2: From your research, when is
5: it that girls start worrying about their appearance? It's one of the things I think that's quite sad in the research. Some researchers, particularly um, Susan Paxton and Steph Damiano and Laura Hart and colleagues at La Trobe University in Melbourne, they've done some really interesting research with children as young as three years of age and show that girls at that age are aware and say that they don't want to be fat. They also show a preference to wanting to be friends with the child who is thin or who doesn't have a scar or who isn't in a wheelchair. So from a very young age... Children are really aware of these kind of stereotypes that exist. And then when we get to a point where we can actually try to measure their own dissatisfaction with their bodies, we see girls as young as five years of age tend to be unhappy with their bodies.
2: When we talk about how much girls start investing in their appearance, do you know how much time we're talking about?
5: It's really hard to quantify, but when we do these workshops in schools, some girls will tell us they're spending an hour, an hour and a half to get ready for school or sometimes turning up late to school. So it's a significant amount of time, enough for them to say to us that they think that that's, you know, a downside of really trying to look like appearance ideals. Philippa, how do we disrupt the gender beauty gap? Like, is it just
2: about trying to care less about how we look and maybe chucking out half our makeup? What What
5: are some actual
2: solutions?
5: as individuals, thinking about, is this the type of society that we want to live in? And it may be that we do find it fun to get dressed up and to wear makeup and, as I said, use our appearance as a source of play, but then start to think critically if it's taking a lot of time and diverting your attention or your money away from other things that you really value more in life thinking about that. And then really importantly, as women and girls, I think moving away from this idea that we're objects to be looked at. We actually have so many more talents and attributes that will allow us to contribute to society. And thinking about what our bodies allow us to do is a really powerful way to, I think, challenge the gender beauty gap, but also to help us feel more appreciative of our bodies and to respect them more.
2: Okay. So, When the younger generation looks to you and says, "Okay, cool, this is bad, but what are you doing about it? What did you do? Did you change? Did you try to make it easier for us? What's your answer going to be? There are massive political and social structures working against gender equality. And yes, you can change yourself. On a larger scale, if you don't like what a brand is doing, objectifying a beautiful body, tell them about it. We asked everyone in this episode how they think we can close the gender beauty gap and not pass this stuff down to our daughters. This is Emma's take. At the end of the day, I think that
0: that's caught up in that whole inequality piece that we feel around pay and super and promotions and leadership. And I think that will be a step, but that's miles and miles away. Or some super, super confident women who are just like, I'm just going to own this.
3: And this is me and take it or leave it.
2: Here's Michelle's advice.
3: I don't think there's just one answer for that education and having more women speak up about it, but also feel free to actually express how they want to look rather than fitting into societal pressures of having to look like models in magazines or whatever it is. They can just express how they want to look, and for men to accept it and go, oh, that's beautiful as well.
2: Sarah, who tried to personally close her own gender beauty gap, learned this.
4: I've actually come to appreciate natural beauty a lot more. I think that it's been a really positive thing because it's nice to look in the mirror and be like, wow, I can actually feel really positive about, you know, my natural beauty. And that's something that maybe before I wouldn't have necessarily, I would have thought, oh, I'm just going out without makeup. and bleh.
2: But now I'm thinking, oh, wow. Well, I don't look so bad. <laughs> and the last word goes to my daughter, Dee on how we shake things up.
0: I think self-love goes a long way, but also encouraging your friends. And be careful what you post on social media because every time you edit something, you're setting a higher standard for everyone who follows you and it can be really damaging for anyone who sees that and then compares it. And also don't let anyone's opinions change your self-image. Yeah,
3: do what makes you feel good. That kind of
2: stuff. By the way, remember when I said at the start of this episode that in 2016 women spent $15 billion on grooming while guys spent seven? Well, I asked Greening Australia how many trees we could plant with the $8 billion gap, and get this, we could plant 2.5 billion native trees and shrubs. How awesome is that? If only some of them could be planted on my face and I could be giant broccoli lady and no one would have to look at my green eyeliner and my pink lipstick you can find Ladies We Need To Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de it's produced by Jane Curtis supervising producer is Cassandra Steith and our executive producer is Justine Kelly this series was created by Claudine Ryan the manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon and fact is we are all beautiful on the inside (laughs) Hey, if this episode has you thinking, how do we make sure our daughters are immune from the gender beauty gap? Well, sadly, there is no vaccine, as of yet, nor is there a protective cloak or vitamin pill that you can take to protect yourself or her. But if you want to make sure the next generation knows that life isn't all about looks, you should listen to the ABC podcast Fierce Girls, which takes a look at some kick-ass female role models. Fierce Girls is a podcast all about the stories of Australian women with guts and spirit, and the stories are told by amazing people like Yale Stone, Dame Quinton Bryce, Turia Pitt and Leah Purcell. It's seriously great. My daughters love it and it's inspiring, so I recommend you check it out. You can find Fierce Girls on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your kick-ass podcasts.